This is a podcast from Real Life Sango in Clarksville, Tennessee. Thank you for being a part of our online community. We would love for you to join us at 8.30 or 10 a.m. on Sunday morning at the City Forum. In the meantime, if you would like to share a prayer request, make a financial contribution, or take a step at Real Life, you can text MISSION to 97000. Now enjoy the podcast. A couple of months ago, I took my middle son, Elliot, on a little bit of a man trip. And uh, one of the locations that we went to was Cincinnati. And I totally forgot how wonderful it is to come over that hill at nighttime and see the city. You've probably experienced this sometime in your life where you were driving into a city and you were taken by the grandeur or the beauty or the lights. Do you, you remember that moment driving into some city and being kind of having that wow moment, and, uh, and it's, it's like in, in Cincinnati, you're kind of coming over that hill, and then it just, it just all kind of breaks out in front of you, that just the city view. Um, my, one of my favorite moments is flying into New York City, because uh, it's, <laughs> if you've ever done it, it's like an experience like no other, because right when you get to where you can begin to see the skyline, everybody is glued to their window. And in, in, in that moment, you know if you got a, a ticket on the right side of the plane or if you sat on the right side of the plane because everybody on one side of the plane is glued to the window and they're just in awe for like minutes upon minutes upon minutes. And all the other folks on the other side of the plane, they're just like looking going, man, I wish I, wish I, I, wish I could sit on that side and look out the window. The view. Amazing. Maybe you've had that experience where you, where you drive into a city and you're kind of in awe in a moment in what you see. Well, in our text this morning in Luke chapter 19, Jesus is making his way into Jerusalem and he begins to see Jerusalem in the distance. He begins to see the city, but his experience isn't one of awe. His experience isn't one of of joy. His experience wasn't one of, hey, you guys, look. His experience was one of of deep, profound sadness. So I want you to see this with me. Luke chapter 19, and we'll pick up in verse 41 and read through verse 48. So you follow along as I read, and we'll dig in to this text together this morning. I'm titling the sermon this morning, um, what, what Will Jesus See? What Will Jesus See? Verse 41, and when he drew near and saw the city, he wept over it, saying, would that you, even you, had known on this day the things that make for peace, but now they are hidden from your eyes. For the days will come upon you when your enemies will set up a barricade around you and surround you and hem you in on every side and tear you down to the ground, you and your children within you, and they will not leave one stone upon another in you because you did not know the time of your visitation. And he entered the temple and began to drive out those who sold, saying to them, it is written, my house shall be called a house of prayer But you have made it a den of robbers. And he was teaching them daily in the temple. The chief priests and the scribes and the 
principal men of the people were seeking to destroy him, but they did not find anything they could do, for all the people were hanging on his words. Would you pray with me? Father, we pray you would speak to us by your spirit through the sacred scriptures in a personal way, in a powerful way today. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, what will Jesus see? The first thing that we see in the text this morning that, that strikes us immediately is that Jesus, is, Jesus is, is weeping. Look at this with me in verse 41. And when he drew near and saw the city, he wept over it. A very different experience than seeing the city lights of Cincinnati or a very different experience than looking out the window and seeing the amazing skyline of New York City. Jesus is approaching Jerusalem and he sees Jerusalem and he weeps. In this word, he was actually sobbing and wailing. Jesus, the Son of God, the King of Kings, he's weeping. Why does he weep? Look at the text with me. He was saying in verse 42, would that you, even you, he's speaking to Jerusalem, God's chosen people, God's people that, that he chose to have a, a covenant relationship with, God's people that, that God had sent prophets to speak God's word to, God's people that he had visited time and time again, God's people that he gave the Ten Commandments to. Jesus is speaking to Jerusalem and he said, would, would that you, even you, had known on this day the things that make for peace? Do you hear the cry of Jesus? He's saying, oh, I wish that you would have known. Oh, I wish that you would have known where peace was found. Jesus' heart was breaking because his people essentially pushed peace away. They pushed peace away. He was saying, oh, I wish that you had known where peace would be found, but now they are hidden from your eyes. It's almost as if Jesus was saying, because you have rejected me. Because you have rejected me, the Messiah, because you have rejected me, God's son, because you've rejected me, now God's judgment has set in and your eyes are now hidden from seeing me as the one that can bring peace. Oftentimes we, we think of God as sovereign and oftentimes we think of God as, as judge, but, but here we understand that, that, that Jesus is filled with compassion. Jesus is looking upon his people who had pushed him away and he weeps. He weeps. He, he says, oh, I wish that you would have known. Even you had known on this day the things that make for peace. Don't miss this. Jesus himself is the one that's going to give peace. Through the cross, through the resurrection, Jesus is going to make peace possible for God's people. We see that this, um, that this judgment, this, this, I mean, Jesus has taken on the form of a prophet here. And look at what he says in verse 43. For the days will come upon you when your enemies will set up a barricade around you and surround you and hem you in on every side and tear you down to the ground, you and your children within you. So this was, this was the consequence for rejecting Jesus, for pushing away peace. And he's saying your enemies are going to take over you. They're going to tear you down to the ground, you and your children within you, and they will not leave one stone upon another in you. Why? Because you did not know the time of your visitation. He describes it as their visitation. In other words, when Jesus came to this earth, it was God's messenger. It was God's prophet. It was God's son. It was God saying, I want a relationship with you. It was your visitation. The day that, that God visited this earth as a man, your visitation 
Israel. Your visitation, Jerusalem. But because you, because you didn't know it, because you didn't trust me, because you didn't see that I was who I said I was, because you didn't receive me, judgment, judgment is, is coming. In the judgment, the, the judgment we see, if you trace through church history, you see in A.D. 70, uh, Rome actually conquered Jerusalem. So exactly what Jesus is describing is exactly what happened in A.D. 70, where Jerusalem was absolutely leveled by Rome. So this is a, a prophecy that Jesus was giving that was fulfilled in A.D. 70, but it's also a prophecy that's going to come when Jesus comes again. And brings his judgment because they pushed his peace away. I think we see this often. We, sometimes we see this with a little kid who wants to do things on his own. Do you know what I'm talking about? It's like, you know, maybe you're working in the yard and your kids, you know, it's like maybe you're like, you know, I don't know, like picking up logs and moving logs. Or you're, you're, you're cleaning out the garage and you're picking up a box, you know. And you know your kid is about to try to pick something up that they can't handle. And you say, here, let me help you. <laughs> And you know how kids respond to that. No, 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 I'm going to do it on my own. And, and, they're, and, they're, and they're pushing away the assistance that their parents seek to give them. Have you ever experienced that? that how, how, about, how about this? When someone um, is, is grieving, when someone is grieving and they need comfort, and you go in to comfort them, but they push you away. You ever experienced that? Have you ever been the person grieving? Someone tries to comfort you and you push it away. You don't want, you don't want the help. You don't want the comfort. Just leave me alone. Just leave me alone. This was, this was the heart of God's people. This was the heart of God's people. Jesus, we don't need you to rule over us. We're doing just fine. Jesus, we do, we, we're rejecting your help. We're pushing away the peace that you want to give us. Don't miss that. That's what Jesus is saying. Look back at verse 42. saying, oh, that you, even you would have known on this day the things that make for peace. Do you hear the heart of God? Do you hear what Jesus is saying? I want you to have peace. <laughs> I want you to experience peace. Listen, when we read through the scriptures, we see that God wants to lavish our life with peace. Let's just start with inner peace. Did you know God wants to give you inner peace today? He wants to fill your heart with peace. He wants your experience to be you wake up in the morning with peace, you go to bed at night at peace, and yet all, so many things in the world chip away at our peace, just dissolve our peace. In Isaiah 26, 3, it says this way, you keep him in perfect peace whose mind is stayed upon you because he trusts in you. That's inner peace. God will keep us in perfect peace. That's what Isaiah was saying. God will keep us in perfect peace when our mind is stayed upon him. That inner peace. Where have you been looking for peace and not being able to find it? Jesus was crying out. Jesus was weeping and wailing because God's people were pushing away peace. God wants to give us inner peace, but he also wants to give us peace with God. He also, Jesus wants to give us peace with the Father. In Romans 5.1, it says, therefore, Paul wrote, therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. So not only do we have inner peace when our mind is stayed upon him, but through Jesus, trusting in Jesus, we now have peace with God. You know, the Bible says that because of our sin, we made ourselves an enemy of God. We've alienated ourselves with God. We've brought condemnation upon ourselves. But Jesus went to the cross. Jesus bore the condemnation that we deserved. He was condemned on the cross so that we 
could have peace with God our maker. Friends, that's good news for you today. Is that you can have peace with the God that made you. Peace deep in your heart with God. So not only does God want to give us inner peace, and not only does God want to give us peace with God, but he wants to give us peace with others. Paul wrote in Romans 4, verse 3, he says, Be eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. In other words, when we were adopted as children of God, God gave us a bond with the family of God. It was a bond of peace. It was a bond of peace. So when we live out unity in the family of God, we're just being who we are. We're bonded to one another with peace. The blood of Jesus can tear down any wall of hostility between people, friends. It's beautiful. Jesus brings people together. We set our prejudices aside and we embrace one another. It's the bond of peace. God gives us inner peace. Jesus gives us peace with the Father. Jesus gives us peace with one another. That's, that's who God is. He's the, he's the Prince of Peace. And, and yet Israel, they were pushing peace away. They were pushing peace away. There's been all kinds of um, violence in our country that we've seen in the, in the headlines. Um, it, per, perhaps this morning you've got an overwhelming sense of as you've watched the news, it's just disrupted your peace. As you've thought about the mass shootings that have taken place in Texas and New York and Oklahoma and countless other places in our country this year. And as we see this text this morning where Jesus is looking upon his chosen people who pushed away peace, Jesus is weeping, he's sobbing. And he's wailing. And friends, listen. Sometimes when we see violence after violence after violence, and we're, we're connected in such a global way, in that we're, we're used, to, used to you didn't know minute by minute the violence that was going on in states around. It can be overwhelming. You can feel powerless of how do I... How, how do I make an effort here? And can I just, how do I make an effort to, to, to bring peace? And can I, just, can I just tell you this morning that sometimes the only appropriate response is to weep? So, sometimes the only appropriate response is to recognize how powerless we are to bring peace, and we just weep. Jesus wasn't powerless to bring peace, but they pushed his peace away. And as they pushed it away, he wept. And I think as Jesus looks upon this historical moment in our country and he sees the darkness, he weeps. And as you try to figure out, like, how, how am I to think about this as a Christian? Well, how does Jesus respond when his people pushed peace away? He wept. If we were honest this morning, many of, many of us would say, I'm so, I'm so calloused. I'm so desensitized. I just see so much of it over and over and over and over again. It's, it's, it's overwhelming. And, and indeed, when we watch the news where it's just the, the news of, of what's going on all over the country or all over the world, it's easy to be overwhelmed, to feel powerless, and to feel like I can't do anything to contribute to peace. And just to kind of give up. But in giving up, it's like a apathy is what grows in our heart. And um, some of us today need to replace the apathy 
with weeping. We need to, we need to care. We need to know that Jesus is going to come and Jesus is going to bring his perfect peace when he comes again. We need to advocate for peace. But we don't need to let our hearts grow so calloused. We don't need to grow so desensitized that apathy is the fruit. Friends, it's good, it's right, it's appropriate to weep. Don't be afraid of grief. Don't be afraid of that kind of grief. The Spirit of God is our comforter. When we open up the book of Psalms, we see that the majority of the book of Psalms are lament Psalms. The people of God are to be a lamenting people, but a people that lament with hope because we know that Jesus is going to come and wipe away every tear from our eyes. So don't be afraid of grief. It's appropriate to weep. I do want to shepherd us this morning just for a moment because it's, it's easy to, to look at what's going on in the country and to become desensitized or apathetic because there seems to be so much violence. There seems to be so many problems. And I want to I remind us um, that violence has been a part of sinful humanity from the beginning. I think this is helpful for us to remember um, as a framework for understanding life. The very first brothers that existed on planet Earth, one of them killed the other one. Cain killed Abel. Violence growing up out of an evil heart has been part of humanity from the beginning. Oh, how we need Jesus. Oh, how we need Jesus. The very first family, Adam and Eve, have sons, Cain and Abel. And the very first family is a dumpster fire. The very first family. It's easy for us to look at this historical moment and think, oh, what a, what a terrible dumpster fire. Don't forget the history of the world. It's been a dumpster fire from the beginning, and we need Jesus today as much as Cain and Abel needed Jesus day one. It's just helpful to frame it and to understand that. I do want to shepherd us, though, because I think if we obsess over the global reality, it can be overwhelming. And I just want to shepherd us real life toward um, focusing, not neglecting the global reality, not neglecting our national reality, but focusing on our local reality. Focusing on our neighborhoods, focusing on our workplaces, focusing on our community, our city, and our county. So we know about Buffalo, we know about Texas, and we know about Oklahoma, and our hearts are shattered, and we should weep with Jesus. But last night on Tiny Town Road, there was a, a robbery where someone was shot. As they were working, doing their job, taking care of people in the middle of the night at a gas station. Here in our community. Here in our town. So the opportunity we have to be salt and light here to love our neighbors well. Listen, when, when, we, were, when we were launching this church, when we were getting ready to start this church, I sat down over coffee with a guy that was interested in helping us start the church. And he was the kind of guy that, like, he loved the big projects where we all, like, go out into the community and we all do a huge project together and the newspaper writes us up and talks about how great our church is, right? Like, that was the kind of project he lived for. 
And I told him over coffee, I said, I think the greatest way that we're going to serve Clarksville is by offering friendship. And he just cocked his head and said, huh, I'm going to have to think about that. We've had a dream from the start of this church that we would know our neighbors' fears, hopes, and dreams. That's why one of our values is margin for mission, is that we don't want to fill everybody's life with endless Christian activity and you not even know your neighbor's name. We want you to not only know their name, we want you to know their, their fears and their hopes and their dreams so that you can minister to them, so you can love them well. The second greatest commandment is to love your neighbor as yourself. And Jesus didn't necessarily mean like our next door neighbor, but isn't that a good place to start? The people that you see over and over and over and over again. Well, two weeks after that coffee meeting with that man, his neighbor, a 19-year-old young man, whose name he did not know, committed suicide. His neighbor needed a friend. He needed his neighbor to know his name. And as we think about how do we bring the peace of Jesus, how do we bring the peace of Jesus to our community? What starts with loving our neighbor well. It starts with knowing them. It starts with with having enough space in our life that we care about the relationships of the people that God is is putting in front of us. And so church, don't misunderstand what I'm, I'm not saying. I'm not saying we shouldn't be concerned with what's going on in our state, in our country, in our world. Absolutely we should. And there's many occasions to weep with Jesus for the, the, the horrific evil that exists. But what I am saying is that God has put us in this city, in the surrounding cities, in this county and in the surrounding counties, and in your neighborhood and in your workplaces for a divine purpose. For a divine purpose. Have you been looking for peace in all the wrong places? Today, you can find peace by turning to Jesus. So many of you have turned to Jesus and you're walking with Jesus, and now you get to be the agent of peace to those in our community. What, a, what an amazing privilege it is. So look at verses 45 and 48 with me. This shifts here. So, so Jesus, in all the, the previous chapters, he's making his way to Jerusalem, and now he's here. He's arrived. He's preparing for his death. He's going to spend the next week teaching in the temple. And here we see in verse 45, And he entered the temple and began to drive out those who sold, saying to them, It is written, My house shall be called a house of prayer, but you have made it a den of robbers. And he was teaching daily in the temple. The chief priests and the scribes and the principal men of the people were seeking to destroy him, But they did not find anything they could do, for all the people were hanging on his words. Uh, Matthew records this scene, and Mark records this scene, and Luke's recording is the shortest of the three. And so you probably know the scene where that Luke doesn't record here, but that Matthew and Mark do, where Jesus is turning over the tables in the temple. And why was he doing this? He was doing this because um, in the temple there was a the people of God were coming to make sacrifices, and so they would come and they would. They would purchase animals to make sacrifices. But what had happened was the heart of worship was gone and the mechanics were the only thing that remained. Did you hear that? The heart of worship was gone and the mechanics were the only thing that remained. In other words, they were just going through the motions. Worse than that, 
They weren't just going through the motions. They were now motivated by money in the temple. Not motivated by the majesty of God, motivated by the money that they would get by selling animals for the sacrifices. So Jesus comes in and he rebukes them. He turns over the tables as Matthew and Mark record. And he entered the temple and he began to drive out those who sold, saying to them, it is written, my house shall be called a house of prayer, but you have made it a den of robbers. Now you may wonder, um, we've got a bookstore here at Real Life. Should we, like, should we, like, turn, go ahead and turn over the, you know, some of you are like, well, you know, it, it gets turned over. Like sometimes when we roll it out, you know, like some of you are on our loadout team and you're like, was that the Lord? Like turning over the bookshelf, you know, I don't know. We have a little bookstore and we sell hats in mugs, in books, and everything that we sell in the bookstore, we sell it for less than what we buy it for. We're not trying to make money. We actually just want to put resources in your hand that spread the word about real life and get good resources in your hand. I just had a dad come up to me a couple of weeks ago and he said, thank you for that TechWise book that's in the bookstore. And he told me a story that was going on in his family that was a sad, sad story about uh, teens on social media and he said that book was so helpful for me as I raise my kids and, and guide them in how to in how to navigate so, social media so now if now if we were upcharging and trying to make a profit on the things that we were selling and we had lost the heart of worship and the purpose of our worship then Jesus would rightly come in here and turn over the shelf of the bookstore and rebuke us I am curious, though, what does Jesus see when he sees us? He, he came into the temple and, and he saw them motivated by money, not the majesty of God. He began to teach, and he was teaching daily in the temple. The chief priests and the scribes, the principal men of the people, they were seeking to destroy him. But look at this. Why, why were the religious leaders unable to destroy Jesus? Look, look at the text with me, verse 48. But they did not find anything they could do. Why couldn't they do anything to Jesus? Look at this. For all the people were hanging on his words. They were hanging. Isn't that a beautiful picture of what we long for God to do in this place every Sunday? Where we, where we bring our Bible and we open up the sacred scriptures and we hang upon. Listen, if you want to know what Jesus has to say to you, open the Bible. Because Jesus has said a lot to his people, the sacred scriptures. It's amazing that we have the sacred scriptures, the word of God. We can open it up and know exactly what the will of God is for our life by reading the sacred scriptures. Jesus has a word for us. And in the temple, they were hanging upon his words. What does Jesus see when he sees us? What we see about Jesus is that he had in, in, he's weeping and rebuking. He has compassion and conviction. He brings grace and truth. One of our values at, at real life is grace and truth in relationships. And here we see Jesus as he sees the city and he's weeping. We see his compassion. And when he comes into the temple and he sees the heartless worship motivated by money, he turns the tables over. And in conviction, he says, you ought to be a house of prayer. Instead, you're a den of robbers. He's quoting from Isaiah saying, you ought to be a house of, of prayer. So Jesus has compassion and conviction. He's weeping and rebuking. He has grace and truth. So, so what are we to do? What, what, what are you and I to do today? What, what's our takeaway? How does this text shape our Monday? How does it shape our Sundays? The, the simple takeaway is don't push away peace. Pursue it. That's what Jesus was saying 
verse 42, he said, Oh, would that you, even you, had known on this day the things that make for peace. So friends, don't push away peace. Pursue it. And and perhaps saying it in a better way, don't push away the prince of peace. Pursue him. Pursue him. I I have a little vision that I want us to do this summer here at Real Life. Um, So if you're a community group host or facilitator, would you just stand to your feet? If you teach a small group in Real Life Kids, would you just stand to your feet? Awesome. Um, So every morning when we come in here for worship, um, you guys probably know if you arrive semi on time, there's a, um, there's a, a clock that shows up on the screen. So you're going to see this countdown clock. It's a little countdown clock. And, um, and that's like a little, hey, worship is about to start, right? So worship is about, <laughs> worship is about to go on. And so there it is. So, so here's what I'd like, here's what I want to ask you to do, church. If you're on staff at Real Life, would you stand to your feet? Help us in this moment. Um, this is what I want to ask you. If you're an elder at Real Life, would you stand to your feet? If you're on the prayer team at Real Life, would you stand to your feet? This is what I want to ask you leaders in our church to do. Um, When the countdown clock begins on Sundays, I want you to just go around and just gather up a couple of people and say, let's pray. Let's pray. Just this summer, I just want us, when we come in here, listen, the fellowship is sweet, isn't it? It's like my happiest time of the week when we come in this place. The fellowship buzz. It's like family reunion every Sunday. We're all back together. The world is beating us up, and we come in, and we get healed and nourished and filled up, and it's Amen. I just like, my whole week is off kilter when I don't gather with you. But Jesus said, my house shall be called a house of prayer. My house shall be called a house of prayer. So we could program that. But I wonder how long it would take after programming that for us to just be going through the mechanics. Do you know what I mean? I wonder, I wonder how long it would take before Jesus said, hey, you honor me with your lips, but your hearts are far from me. So we're, we're not going to program this. We're not going to send out an email and ask anybody to do this, but I just want to cast a vision for you leaders. If you'll, as soon as that clock starts on Sunday mornings, if you'll just gather a couple of people around you and just pray. Adore God, worship God, ask God to show himself strong to us, ask him to manifest his presence in a powerful and personal way to us. Could we start this morning? Could we just start this morning? Those of you that are on your feet, would you just gather a few people around you this morning? Just go ahead right now where you are. Those of you that are sitting around them, would you help them out right now? Because this is a tough moment for them. Pastor, just put them on the spot. So somebody just stand to your feet. Before you pray, before you pray, let me have your attention just for a moment. Right up here. Let me have all eyes right up here. All eyes right here. I I just imagine Jesus like... He's here by his spirit. He is here. But I, I just imagine like him flying over in an airplane, you know, and him looking out the window at real life. You, you know, when you fly into New York, you're like glued to the window because you just want to see it. You want to see the glory of it all. And oh, how I long for Jesus to want to, peer out the window and look upon his people because we have made ourselves a house of prayer. Not because somebody programmed it, but because the Spirit of God moved in our hearts to gather together. As worship's beginning, we can't help but to gather together to purify our hearts, to to come before God and say, oh Lord, we're here for you. 
Nothing else will do but your presence. Oh, how I long for Jesus to look out the window and to look upon real life and to find a a house of prayer. Church, don't you want that? Don't you want to become that? So let's pray. We've got a minute and 30 left. Let's pray. Let's pray. Would you gather together? Oh, Father, we pray in Jesus' name and by your spirit today. And, Lord, we confess that there's so much apathy in our hearts and we want to weep with you, Jesus. We want to weep with you. Father, we long for your church here at Real Life to be a house of prayer. So we pray, Spirit of God, would you soften our hearts? Would you give us humility? Would you allow this place and this people to become a house of prayer, not because we program it, but because we long for your presence, because we love you more than we love anything else, because we must have the fullness of you. Lord, be exalted in this place. We pray you're pleased with our worship. Lord, we exalt you, majesty, holy, holy, holy are you, Lord God, worthy of our worship and worthy of our praise. There's no one like you. We are your people. We are your temple. We are your building. We are your body. And we thank you that your spirit dwells in us. So shape us this summer as we seek your face together. Shape us this summer, we pray in Jesus' name. And all God's people said, amen. All right. Hey, listen to me. Amen. Right on. Hallelujah. Hey, church, listen. Some of you are like, I'm coming in after the first song. I can't handle that. I'm coming in after the first song going to eat some donuts out there. Hey, come on in and be early. And if, if, if standing in a group of people while someone else prays is just a little overwhelming for you in where you are in your spiritual journey, come on in and just sit, just sit alone with God. Just sit alone with God. And, and if people are catching up in the fellowship buzz is happening that's good we're not prescribing you got to come in and pray keep talking but might the Lord move in our hearts where before that first song we bow our heads in reverence and cry out for the movement of his spirit in this place among his people church you with me let's do it let's do it June July and August are you with me let's do it let's become a house of prayer Thank you for listening. We trust that God is stirring something special in your heart today. We hope to see you on Sunday very soon. Keep it real. Keep it Jesus.